Welcome, welcome, welcome into a Thursday edition of Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan in 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney on a rainy, rainy Thursday morning. Thanks for being with us. We have more comments, tickets to give away on the show today, so be sure to listen in for the code word or words. Uh, we're giving away a couple pair this hour and another in hour number two, so we'll think of a code word, code word here shortly. Uh, we'll also be joined by Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star, Colts beat writer. He will talk with us in hour number two at 8.30. Anthony Richardson on the in, on injured reserve. Really not a surprise with the move, but what does it mean for the Colts moving forward? We'll talk with him about that. Also, Notre Dame USC. We'll discuss that later this hour. Take a look behind the numbers. When we talk about USC's defense being bad, I can't emphasize enough how bad. As good as their offense is, their defense perhaps might be worse. Uh, we'll look at some of the numbers and what USC has done. Uh, meanwhile, the Big Ten will give you more of something you don't want. I feel like this is a, a common theme of late with the Big Ten. Yeah, yeah there needs some some positivity, the Big Ten. Can we find that? I, right I guess. Not I mean, maybe if two teams make the college football playoff, maybe that will be the, the positivity. Maybe. Uh, meanwhile, if you're a Colts fan or even a Bears fan, you have to feel good compared to being a fan of the Dallas Cowboys or the Minnesota Vikings. We'll explain that in hour number two. Plus, MLB playoffs reset. Uh, we'll discuss what happened last night in headlines. But who are the favorites? And we, we touched on this yesterday, but randomness in the postseason. Uh, we'll get more on that discussion. And, and maybe that whole randomness aspect has been overblown based on, well, fairly recent results. We'll get to that. And we have a winner in Fat Bear Week. Really? Yes. Already? An upset. So we'll give you the details Ooh. on that uh, around 8.50 as we wrap things up. All right. Another so bear story. Yes. Oh, Maybe Two of straight days. Of course. We're always angling for more bear We're stories. Always looking for those bear stories. You can stream us 1380thefan.com on the free 1380thefan app or your smart speaker all for free. Reach us on Twitter. Caleb Kinney 1380 is the show handle. We'll try to think of a, a Twitter poll question for today. Uh, you can also reach me, Caleb Hatch, on Twitter, and Justin J. Kenny OPS. And 1380 The Fan, for good measure, that is the station handle as well. So, speaking of headlines, speaking of baseball, uh, wild night as the Dodgers officially eliminated from the postseason. Um, it, it really wasn't so much what the Dodgers didn't do last night. It was more so what the Diamondbacks did, and that was hit four straight home runs in the third inning. Back to back to back to back. All solo shots. So that pretty much sealed. I mean, that was all the offense for Arizona. They win four to two. They sweep the Dodgers, which I know it's really tough with the Dodgers, right? Because every year they have so much success in the regular season. They're presumed one of the favorites to reach the World Series. Only one World Series win. It, They've almost become the the modern Atlanta Braves, mm. as the Braves were in the nineties. Is that what we're seeing? Because that's what it feels uh, like. It definitely feels like that um, at this point. But man, you look at the one seed in Baltimore out in the American League, the two seed in the National League out with the Dodgers, and the Braves facing elimination. 
yeah, the Phillies route the Braves last night 10-2. to It was another dominant performance. Bryce Harper, two more home runs. So, again, Phillies up 2-1 to over the Braves. The Braves were a clear favorite going into the postseason as far as not only reaching the World Series, but winning the World Series, and now on the brink of elimination. The ALCS is set with the Rangers and Houston, and that series will begin Sunday. No time that I've seen yet, but game one will be Sunday, I imagine, evening. But uh, today will be game four for Phillies and Braves tonight at 8 o'clock. We'll see if the Braves can stave off elimination down 2-1. to one. Meanwhile, in the NHL last night, chasing greatness began. Connor Bedard had his first NHL goal, but the Blackhawks fall to the Bruins 3-1. to one. I say chasing greatness because they put a graphic up that literally said that, uh, comparing <laughs> Connor Bedard's one goal to Wayne Gretzky's goals, which was... 864 goals yeah, a, a by bit, Wayne Gretzky. As you mentioned, we talked about this off-air. A bit tongue-in-cheek because Gretzky's in the studio, but still, it was just kind of comical. It was comical, yes, but uh wasn't anything uh, next level from Bernard. It was a simple wraparound on a rebound, but he gets goal number one, but the Blackhawks fall. Man, back-to-back games to start the the season for the Hawks at Pittsburgh and at Boston, and of course Boston got, earned the President's Cup trophy last year, most points in the regular season. They folded in the playoffs, but a good start for the Blackhawks in terms of what their future looks like. And it's not just Connor Bedard. This is a team that starts a couple teenagers on the blue line. Overall, they have three of their six defensemen are rookies. So there's a lot of talent in Chicago and in the pipeline coming. It just needs to mature. But that's being led, of course, by a generational talent. And Connor Bedard got goal number one last night in that loss at Boston. Meanwhile, in uh, news related to the NFL, uh, former Notre Dame player, former Colts player, uh, defensive back Sergio Brown taken into custody by police after a warrant was issued for first-degree murder and the death of his mother, Myrtle Brown. Um, but Brown and Myrtle Brown reported missing by relatives all the way back on September 16th. Uh, they found her body near a creek close to a residence in the suburbs of Chicago. Meanwhile, Sergio Brown was taken into custody Tuesday when he re-entered the U- U.S. from Mexico, uh, taken into custody by San Diego police. so Former Notre Dame player, former Indianapolis Colt for two or three seasons. And when this happened, when his mom was found dead and he was nowhere to be found, you could add up and, and assume that Sergio Brown had something to do with it. And now the authorities think so too. Yes, so uh, unfortunate a whole story all around, but uh, the former Colt obviously implicated in that situation. Meanwhile, Kansas gets off scot-free on the NCAA. Like, I guess Are I don't surprised? even... No, I, I, it, it's not even worth my outrage. <laughs> it's not even worth your time at this they, point. Their violations were, were downgraded. They got probation. Um, of course, vacated wins. Whoop-de-doo. They'll have to They've vacate. they to take it's, a banner down. It to vacate their 2018 Final Four appearance and wins from that season due to Silvio D'Souza's participation. Was that also the year that like a player threw a chair? I thought only Bobby Knight threw chairs. Like a, a yeah, it was like a whole a whole thing, if I recall correctly. It happened where or, or got in a shoving match. Like there was something that happened with a chair. Hmm. 
All I know is the guardian of D'Souza. Yes, it was Silvio D'Souza. He threw a chair? Yeah. Oh. He threw several punches, picked up a chair before he was restrained. Hmm. His junior year, um, and this was in a game against Kansas State. They were winning. He blocked a dunk attempt as time expired, then taunted the player, sparked a brawl, January 21st, 2020. It's so, hard to remember because, yeah, it happened in 2020, but it was like before, <laughs> obviously, before pandemic related. The, the Rona things. stuff. So, D'Souza, basically, this is the story is the guardian of Silvio D'Souza received $2,500 from former Adidas consultant TJ Gasnola. And he was held out of the 2018 19 season and then won an appeal, played 18 games in 1920. So he won an appeal legally, won an appeal, and so played, and now he's being I I I I don't know because he was actually declared eligible by the NCAA and played. And now the NCAA is saying, no, 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 you were ineligible. But the NCAA declared him eligible with an appeal, from how I understand it. I don't understand why KU is complicit in this. It's it's a whole like I, the whole thing. You know, if the NCAA is going to investigate a major program, a they'll botch it, and b <laughs> there won't be any major penalties. Yeah, and we saw what happened with North Carolina previously, and, and the taking tests and you know the essentially the fake classes made up to, to boost players grades like we all knew nothing would happen there you knew nothing would happen here it's not even like it's not even worth me but being upset about. I, I just th- there's there's more clear cases of programs getting away with something than this one because kansas has has continued to maintain and bill self didn't do anything wrong. And Gasnola testified in federal court that he didn't believe Self and Townsend knew he was using money from Adidas to pay parents mm-hmm. or guardians of high-profile pro- recruits. However, some alleged that text here's it. Some alleged the text between Self, Townsend, and Gasnola indicated the KU coaches knew of Adidas' involvement with the Sousa's guardian. But we never saw those texts. And said, and the closing statement of the, the the story is there was no specific wording, however. That tied KU to alleged payments. So there's no paper trail here. There's no screenshots or anything that Bill Self knew. Did, did he probably know? Probably, but there's no smoking gun. So I'm not I'm not gonna be outraged either this morning because there's a hell of a lot more that was out there that people were getting away with prior to NIL than this that was more egregious. So I I don't know. I, I'm I'm almost team Kansas here. It's hard, like, I have a hard time just because there always seems to be something sleazy happening with Bill Self and the Kansas program, but he has basically a lifetime contract, guaranteed salary, five-year contract, an additional year added at the end of every season. He's not going anywhere. The school can't fire him for cause due due to this case. Uh, I don't think they'd want to. No. So, they've had their success. I, I guess the... Selective enforcement and punishment is the biggest thing I have with the NCAA. And 
this seems like a case where they got all giddy over a possibility of something and couldn't back it up. Yeah, there just wasn't evidence there. So maybe Bill Self was involved, but there's no evidence to say he directly was. Meanwhile, Patriots owner Robert Kraft finally opened to the idea of firing Bill Belichick if New England's struggles continue, according to a report. Uh, I think I covered this like a week ago. Yeah. Because the, the writing's on the wall. It's not going to get better. They are what they are. And when you have a coach who's also the GM, who also has hired every single coach associated with the organization for you know 20 plus years, you are who you are. And your identity is around Bill Belichick. And if he's winning, it's great. If he's losing as an organization, top down, you're you're pretty screwed. I have a hard time thinking that he'd be fired in season, though, because he yes. is such an impactful guy with that franchise. Not only would you have to replace a coach, you'd have to replace a director of player personnel and all that stuff. I just don't see that happening during the season. But this is how important a quarterback is in the NFL. When you had Tom Brady, everything's fine. But then you have Mac Jones, and everything's not so fine. And if anything, we've we've gotten the answer to who was more impactful with the Patriots, Bill Belichick or Tom Brady. That answer is obviously Tom Brady. Yes, and we knew that Kraft wanted to keep Brady and Belichick wanted to boot him. So to me, he has his answer. If, if they fail to do anything this year, I, I mean, you maybe give them another year, but... God, I, I don't some, know. I I would say no, based on the the personnel decisions he's made the last season plus have not also been very good. And They're quite just, frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Bill Belichick retires at the end yeah. of the season. Dude's seventy one years old. Yeah, like what, what is so there maybe left Robert to do? Kraft comes in, and be like, "Hey, we got to have a discussion about your job status," and be like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm going to retire before you can fire me," or they let him retire instead of firing him. But no wins, no playoff wins since Tom Brady left. That's a big indicator that, yeah, it was Brady, not Belichick. Meanwhile, the Comets getting ready for their exhibition games, and uh, they will hold a scrimmage today, 11.15 to noon at the Coliseum, open to the public. Uh, Also, some roster moves. Ford Cameron Nault has been traded to the Florida Everblades for cash. Parker Soretsky and Brendan McCallion have been placed on waivers. Uh, also, for Jordan Marr and Olivier Picard have been released from their tryout. So, already making moves ahead of Saturday's first exhibition game. Well, you were going to have to because you were upwards of 38, 39 dudes in camp. You can't dress 38, 39 guys for an exhibition. So, now the Ks are down to 33 as of this morning. 20 forwards, 10 defensemen, and 3 goaltenders. We'll see if that trims a little closer to manageable for the weekend's exhibition games. Meanwhile, the Colts uh, getting ready to deal with, well, no Anthony Richardson for quite some time. At least four weeks, the next four games. You look at his return. I mean, to me, if if he's going to be out for Jacksonville, Cleveland, New Orleans, and Carolina, do you also hold him out of the game against New England and Germany? Uh, that is right before the bye week. Makes sense, right? right yeah, I think so. Um, give him a full six weeks mm-hmm. after the bye. I mean, he could be out you know, anywhere from four to eight weeks. I mean, you, you give him at least past the bye. You reevaluate him ahead of the Tampa Bay game on November 26th. That seems to be a likely time frame. And then after that, I, I mean, if he's out the full eight weeks, you're looking at week 14 against Cincinnati as the earliest he could return. 
So you're kind of at a at a weird spot. Yes, Minshew is is going to step in again, obviously starting on Sunday against uh, one of his former teams. They've not ruled out surgery for Richardson. No guarantee on his return. The biggest thing is he needs playing time, but he also needs to be healthy. So, like, if he is healthy, do you play him? Or, I mean, it's like you, you don't want to not have him get the reps, right? Because he needs that as a rookie. But also, you don't want to rush him back. It's a, it's a tough, tough decision here. Well, if if the Colts would somehow go on some significant winning streak, which I don't think they will, I think they're a 500 team at best, which won't get you into the playoffs, then you stick with Gardner Minshew. But I don't think that's happening. So when you look at Anthony Richardson and his development and the importance of his development to this team and franchise going forward, you have to get him snaps. If in six weeks, somehow the Indianapolis Colts are sitting, what, eight and three? What are they, week 12 by week 11? So seven and three. Yeah, week 11. Um, maybe you can make the case for Gardner Minshew. They're not going to be seven and three. They're not. I think people look at it and say, well, there's an opportunity. Well, yeah, there's an opportunity because we've talked about it before. The NFL is so close. And the Colts aren't going to be seven and three people. This is not a playoff team. It's, it's heading that way, but it's still not, in my opinion. But you look at Anthony Richardson and and you look at what you've seen so far, and I guess the question for me for Colts fans is, let's take the the injury portion out of the equation, which I know is difficult to take that out because it is part of the equation, so to speak. But if you look at him based on his body of work, what you've seen so far, are you less confident than what you were before the season started with Anthony Richardson? Are you more confident? I mean, you can even factor in the injuries. That's fine. What has your opinion changed positively or negatively on Anthony Richardson compared to before the season began? 59% completion percentage has thrown three touchdowns, one interception, sacked seven times. His rating is 87.3. He's lost a fumble. He's rushed for four touchdowns. Have you seen enough to, to buy in? Are you still waiting to be, has your, basically has your opinion changed on Anthony Richardson? over his first four games played. Here's what I've taken away. And I can separate the injuries from the play on the field. And that's what I'm going to do here. Because, yes, uh, is there concern over injuries? Yes. Uh, am I ready to say, oh, he's a bust because he can't stay healthy? Absolutely not. In fact, I'm nowhere close to that. I'm. That's something I wouldn't even entertain until year three. But when you look at what he's done... And yes, we have we have limited game performances. We, we have the entire Rams game. We have some of the Tennessee game, some of the Houston game, and basically almost all the Jacksonville game. But when you look at it, he's been better completion completion percentage up what five points basically five five percent yeah than what he was at Florida last year. That's a positive. Um, his yards per attempt uh, on a game to game basis have, have increased almost every game the exception of, of the week two gaming against Houston went down from week one. Um, you knew he'd be a threat to run. He he looks prepared. Like, he doesn't go out there and it doesn't look like he's completely unprepared and overwhelmed. Like, he, he does have a confidence. And really, the Rams game, to me, what he did in the second half, 
Yes, I get that he was 11 of 25, only 44% on that. But he kept them in the game. They came back. Like, they didn't go down without a fight. And that, that to me, was the biggest sign of growth. So when I look at it, I think he has exceeded expectations. Yes, the injuries are a disappointment. But I don't think that's that's all you can take away. I, I get it. Like, there's the the thought that, you know, this guy can't not get injured on the field. But look, this happens to other players all the time. Josh Allen struggled with with injuries his rookie year as a quarterback. I mean, you go to one of the, the best players in the NBA. Steph Curry had injury issues the first handful of years of his career. He turned out okay. I mean, I think he's only had like one real major injury ever since. Is that And that was when they shut him down with a, a broken finger to get a better draft pick. In a, in a lost season a couple years ago. So that's the way I look at it, is that he has played well. He's not looked unprepared. He's not been the reason the Colts are losing games. Um, I, I think he has been as advertised or better so far. I would agree because I think our expectations were reasonable for Anthony Richardson. Once he was named the starter, which we didn't really believe he should have been, we said there's going to be some, some growth here, positive or negative. Are you going to take the positive with the negative, right? There's going to be some balance there. And I think we've seen that. I think maybe the, the negative that we didn't expect was just how fragile he is. And whether that's a long-term thing or not, I'm not sure. Nobody knows, but it is definitely a concern. But I have not seen anything from Anthony Richardson, positive or negative, for my opinion, to considerably change from prior to the start of the season. The only thing that I would be concerned about are the injuries. Because we can say it's been a short amount of time, and that could change. But you could also say it's been a short amount of time, and he hasn't been able to stay on the field. We'll see if that's a trend or just a blip on the radar as he gets deeper into his career. Interesting text coming in at 46862. Part of the rookie season is not only developing on the field, but off the field, letting him see how a professional team runs and bulking up in the weight room will help immensely. And I think that's why you and I were on the start Gardner Minshew from the jump train is to let Anthony Richardson learn from the sidelines to, yes, uh, get stronger, get more physically fit and physically intimidating for a quarterback to handle the rigors of the position over a 17-game schedule. He didn't have that luxury, at least in season, because he was thrust out there in week one. But maybe this gives him that opportunity now to learn from the sidelines. And and part of it is, you know, knowing when to slide, knowing when to throw the ball away, all those little elements that experienced quarterbacks that have had success know what to do. Uh, within the, the the play of the game and within a season. And for Richardson, you could say, well, he's 6'4", 245 pounds. Like, he, you know, you don't need to... Well, but you got to work on, like, the right things in the weight room and know what to train. And, you know, training helps prevent injuries, right? So just getting more adjusted to that, obviously, once he comes back healthy and knowing what to work on, that will help as well. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely... Uh, can be used as a learning learning experience for 
Anthony Richardson for sure. I had a text come in talking about uh, Belichick's yes. overall record without Brady before and after combined. So I did some rudimentary math here. Very was, rudimentary. Well, the the time with the Browns and the Patriots, which would First have been one year. season. Yes. So was what, 44 and 55? I had 41 and 55. 41 and 55, okay. And then since Brady left, it's 26 and 29. So overall without Tom Brady, Bill Belichick as a coach is 67 and 84. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a surprise. <laughs> no, but it puts to rest who was the more important part of that duo. It's Tom Brady or Bill Belichick. I'm not discounting what Bill Belichick did with Tom Brady, but what I'm saying is Tom Brady was the catalyst in that relationship, not Bill Belichick. He also, did not succeed before it, and he's not succeeding after it. Also, I would say Belichick has not adjusted to the NFL the modern NFL over the last couple of years. He's I hanging on to too. how things were done, you know, 10, 15 years. And it just simply is not how the game works. And that's fine, but you're not going to win if you want to keep doing things the way you've always done it. You have to adjust as a coach. And, and that's an yeah. offensive minds have more success in the NFL today than defensive minds. It was the opposite in Belichick's heyday, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, and let's, let's be honest, like Bill Belichick, Last year, had they, they won eight games. The year before, they made the playoffs and won 10 games. So it, it's not like they've hit rock bottom with Bill Belichick. Could that happen this year? Maybe. They're sure off to a terrible start, one and four. But it's not like they've been a three, four win team for a couple years and Bill Belichick has, has been a part of it and, and been terrible. It's just this year, the start of this year has not been good. And the most important position in sports, guys, is QB1 in the NFL, and the Patriots don't have one. Meanwhile, on the other side, Notre Dame-USC, a look behind some of the defensive numbers for the matchup and why the Irish will be able to keep up with the USC offense. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny with you. Justin, uh, we got a do a Comets ticket giveaway here. Okay. So we have two pairs left of Saturday exhibition tickets for the game against Iowa. So let's do Coliseum to 46862. Again, just text Coliseum to 46862 and you'll be in the running for one of those pairs. We'll try to give them both away by the end of the hour. So get your text in. Again, Coliseum to 46862. And you could win a pair of Comets tickets to see him take on Iowa Saturday night at the Coliseum, an exhibition game number one of the season. Had somebody text in asking about the K's. Is there a lower professional yes. league than the K's? The K's are like a double A, I would say, the ECHL. Yeah. You got the SPHL that's down to actually, I think Evansville has a team in the mm-hmm. SPHL. I see when I go down to Pensacola for spring break, Pensacola is in the SPHL. Uh, then, of course, you have a bunch, a bunch of of junior leagues too. So you can look at the ECHL as double A, AHL is triple A. But ECHL is good hockey. You go to the ACA, AHL to step up. You go to NHL games, and and you go. You have to actually go. You can't watch it on TV. Like the speed of the NHL game is just truly insane. And then if you do that, and then come back and watch the K's, it, it's it's almost like moving in slow motion. But that's the best of the best of the best, obviously, in the NHL. But if you look at it, it goes pretty much the hierarchy, ECHL, AHL, 
NHL, but then innumerable amount of independent leagues and junior leagues and all that stuff, particularly up north and in Canada. And they also have the All Japan Championship. Wait, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Me neither. I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Um, in Malaysia, they have the Malaysia Ice Hockey League. I think I could bet on that. Get desperate. Oh, good luck. But that's that's the breakdown for uh, for hockey leagues. Four six eight six two. The text line number four six eight six two. Already several of you texting in Coliseum again. If you want to wear a, wear win a pair of tickets, see the Comets and the Heartlanders Saturday night at the Coliseum. Do you think it's Notre Dame fans texting in knowing that they're going to lose on Saturday? No. Okay. I I know you think that you think they're going to win. I I have a good feeling too. Notre Dame is a favorite in this game for a reason. But I also would not be surprised if Notre Dame loses this game. I wouldn't be surprised if they lost, but I would be very surprised if they get blown out. Uh you look at the numbers. And Notre Dame is is at last they open as what a a two and a half point favorite it was two and a half it's now has it been three three now I believe so yeah. Notre Dame favored by a field goal they're playing at home against a rival a USC team that was what preseason top five now they're ranked tenth in the polls and they keep slipping despite That's three winning straight weeks they've slipped despite which winning. says something if you're falling in the polls and you're winning. That's that tells you a lot. And you look at USC and, and much has been made about their beleaguered defense, 109th in total defense this season, allowing 421 yards per game. Notre Dame is 12th in the country, just 279 yards per game. So Notre Dame's defense obviously is going to have the the huge edge over USC's defense. However, Notre Dame's defense is going to have to go against a really great offense. But when you look at the numbers of the teams USC has played, I found this fascinating. San Jose State, USC won the opener against 90th ranked in total defense. Um, meanwhile, Nevada, 130th, dead last. Stanford, 120th. Now, a couple of Pac-12 teams are top 50. Arizona State, 41st, which Arizona State um, has been better. I mean, they played USC tough, only lost by 14. Uh, Colorado, 127th. Now, they could possibly get Travis Hunter back. Uh, in the game against Stanford Friday night could help, but they're a terrible defensive team. And Arizona 47th. That was an Arizona team that had a 17-0 lead and ended up losing in triple overtime. So, five of, of USC's final six opponents are ranked, starting with Notre Dame. There will be losses, plural, for this USC team. Mm. There's absolutely no way they're running through that, but playing teams with you know top 25-ish defenses... Notre Dame, Oregon, uh, Washington's defense is not very good either. I think they're like, I want to say 79th in total defense. Uh, But Notre Dame struggles. Uh, uh, So much has been made the last three games about Notre Dame struggling on offense. But you have to compare that to who they were playing defensively. Ohio State, 8th in total defense. Duke is 18th. Louisville is 26th. These are good defensive teams that Notre Dame struggled to put up points against. Not a USC-type team. It's 109th in total defense. The numbers tell a bigger story. That is why Notre Dame is the favorite, should be the favorite, and should win this game on Saturday night. They should, but they also should have beaten Louisville. You could say they should have beaten Ohio State with the way that game went. I don't know if this team can close 
and play its best football when it needs to. I mean, you looked at the matchups with Louisville, and we we sat here last week and said Louisville hadn't played anybody, and Notre Dame's going to come in and be the first real opponent that Louisville's played, and Louisville skunked them. So I don't know. I, I, I can't put a lot into numbers because I don't know what type of Notre Dame team's going to show up. Because if they play like they did last week, there's no way they're beating USC. And it's still the Heisman Trophy winner, the reigning Heisman Trophy winner from last year, and Caleb Williams coming in. By far the best quarterback that Notre Dame will have played this year. We saw Riley Stewart in the second half of that Duke game look pretty damn good. And he has no Caleb Williams. No, no. And so here I am. I feel like we're echoing what we said last week about, well, Notre Dame should win because look at Louisville and we broke down Louisville and we're doing the same thing with USC as opposed to looking at Notre Dame and saying they have problems and can those problems be fixed before USC? So I'm more focusing on, on Notre Dame's problems than what I am USC's problems in this game. Here's my thing. Caleb Williams is an outstanding player. Probably going to be the topic in the NFL draft next spring, and rightfully so. Um, he can't just simply carry a team every single game. He needs other people to step up, and and it feels like he has single-handedly had to win some of these games that, quite honestly, should not have been close. You What you just said, you insert Sam Hartman instead of Caleb Williams, it's the exact same thing. I mean, Sam Hartman had to single-handedly win that game against Duke, right? Yeah. That's what it feels and like. And what would Notre Dame's record be without Duke? I think you can play that game, too, with Sam Hartman and Notre Dame. But to your point, keep going. Uh, a texter saying at 46862, CK, just watch. USC's defense will play the best they've ever played. Somehow, Notre Dame makes a team's weakest part always look good. Here, here's my thing, though. USC spotted a team a 17-0 lead last week, and that was at the Coliseum. It wasn't on the road. It wasn't in the desert in Arizona. It was at home. So that, that's why I'm not as concerned about these things. Like, they are giving up insane amount uh, amounts of points. And these haven't been road games where they're battling back, you know, and, and tough. Like, that's not been the case here. Some of these have been whole matchups where they're just simply not playing well enough. And, you know, that is something you have to keep in mind. Yes, the Colorado game was on the, the road, but they let Colorado get back in it and make it a close game. It was not close. And then they let them back in it. Arizona game, Arizona had chances. They blew their chances to, to win the game. They weren't aggressive enough in up falling in triple OT. So the, the way I look at it, this is a Notre Dame team. They're playing at home. I get it. It's game eight of eight straight games. And and Pete Sampson had some good points uh, in, in his his column on The Athletic that I, I saw, you know, someone asking about, you know, the schedule. And we even talked about the schedule, but they had eight straight games during the, the BCS National Championship game season, for example? Well, I think the difference with that, in my opinion, is an inexperienced coach that's still learning on the job. And I think that's maybe the, the bigger reason for me, is if this was Brian Kelly, at coach, playing eight straight games, I think Notre Dame's in a better spot. I think it's a dude in, in, in Marcus Freeman that's still learning how to handle the ebbs and flows of a college football season. And when you don't have that week to take a breath and look and oversee the entire program, then that hurts as an inexperienced coach. I think that's the biggest impact in the eight straight games to me. But as a texter brought up too, the biggest impact on Saturday night could be the weather. Yes. It's supposed to be wet most of the day and chilly most of the day in South Bend. Sounds like the rain will mostly be done 
by kickoff, but I'm no meteorologist and we know how this changes hourly, so who the hell knows. But you have to say temps around 50 at kickoff, damp, dreary. That is it benefits Notre Dame. But remember, a lot of these players at Notre Dame came from Texas and Florida and California. These are this isn't a roster made of of Midwestern dudes, okay? So they're affected by the weather too. I think it's a greater impact on USC, of course, but don't overlook the fact that Notre Dame isn't necessarily made up of guys from Indiana and Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota, okay? These are guys that are come from warm weather locales as well. Yes, and, and for both for both teams, right? Right, I mean, exactly. The guys pick between Notre Dame and USC, that's pretty common as far as in recruiting battles, whether they're from California or Nevada or Texas or Florida, wherever. I think the, um, the key for me in this game is looking at the offensive game plan yes. of Coach Parker and what they come up with. Is this a team that's going to come out and try to run the football and run between the tackles and all that stuff? And maybe they have success with that, but it's all about a mindset. And I think Notre Dame needs to actually look and, and more build an offense to take advantage of USC's weaknesses. And, and defense, they have a lot of them. But I think this is a game that Jared Parker needs to come in and have the expectation that he needs to score every single possession. And that should be the goal. Not ball control, not working clock, not grinding out drives. The intent should be, in his mind, we have to score every possession. And the the hope is for Notre Dame is they don't have to do that. But playing a dynamic offense like USC, the approach should be, I have to score every time I have the ball. And I don't think we've seen that mindset from Parker the entire season outside of that final Duke drive. That was, you had to score a touchdown. And they executed, particularly Sam Hartman. The mindset of Jared Parker needs to be going forward that same mindset that was in that final drive against Duke. Every time we have the ball, we're trying to score. I don't get that sense from some of the offensive play calling out of Jared Parker. I see a dude that says, well, we're a good running team, so we're going to try to run it. And we're going to run clock. And we're going to try to control the ball. And not give the other team opportunities. No, you need to approach the offense like, we have to score every single drive. Because you may have to on Saturday night. Uh, Texer bring uh, brings up kind of really my next point uh, at 46862. Notre Dame will run the ball down USC's throat. Tough for Caleb Williams to affect the game. If he's on the sidelines, the majority of it. Look, USC gives up 157 yards per game just in rushing defensively. Notre Dame has to go back and have success running the football, and I think they will. I think they'll find those holes because we know that USC, they may have great, quote-unquote, skill position players, but they're lacking on the recruiting front and development front early on in Lincoln Riley's tenure in the the offensive and defensive lines, in the trenches, right? And that's where Notre Dame should have success on Saturday night. They can control the clock. They can control the tempo of the the game. The key is just get off to a fast start. Don't be playing from behind. Make USC chase you. That is the key. I I just don't like the mindset of ball control and possession. I think you set the run up with the pass. Notre Dame too often thinks it needs to set the, the pass up with the run. And that's antiquated thinking. Come out, sling the ball around, make a statement early. And then use the running game to facilitate that and complement it off the passing game. But don't come in and first play is a dive up the middle. 
and then the second play is an off-tackle run, and then you're at third and eight to start the opening drive, and then everybody knows you're passing. Because the, the, the Notre Dame offense, if anything, has been downright predictable, particularly the last three weeks or so. Another text coming in. Is Marcus Freeman on the hot seat if he loses this game? I don't think it's hot, but it gets warm. Yes. Going into next season. This is a very important game for Marcus Freeman. We said it in Ohio State. That didn't turn out. But we we looked at it and said, you have two prime opportunities at home to beat a top 10 ranked team. And you failed the first one in dynamic fashion and not having enough players on the field. But I think... More so is the, the the sense of he can't handle the big moments starts creeping in after Ohio State. And if Notre Dame loses on Saturday, that becomes a louder voice. I don't think he's on the hot seat if he loses, but I think next year is a critical year if Notre Dame, say they go 8-4 and four this season. Next year would be critical in his coaching tenure you know, to have to do something. And the thing is, they don't have the luxury of a Sam Hartman next year. So... That's another thing to think about moving forward. I mean, the, the schedule may be a slightly easier next season, but we thought the ACC wouldn't be that tough outside of Clemson. That has not been the case this season so far. You know, what's interesting, too, is we look at this, and if you compare it to Mike Woodson at Indiana, and he's had two years of making the tournament, which Indiana is supposed to do. You look at Notre Dame, and they have nine wins last year, which they're supposed to do. And they'll probably, they'll, regardless of what happens Saturday night, they're going to get to eight, nine wins this year, which is what you're supposed to do. In Notre Dame, that puts you on the hot seat, quote unquote, to some people. I'm not saying they're wrong, but it does. Whereas at IU, doing what you're supposed to do, make the tournament, gets you a million dollar raise. Isn't that interesting? It is. It, it doesn't so, make any sense. So, so you look at it as, as Mike Woodson for two years doing what he's supposed to be doing and he gets a raise. You could say Marcus Freeman doing what he's doing at least, getting comfortably in bowl eligibility. At the least he should do is win nine games a year. He did that last year. He very well should do that again this year. And people are talking about him on the hot seat. It's all about expectations. That's why it's so frustrating to me when we talk about Indiana basketball and people just, the, the expectations of Indiana basketball just aren't there anymore. You get to the tournament back-to-back years, you get a raise. Well, but I don't think the fan base thought that was the right move. That was the administration. I think there's a fair amount of fans out there that agreed with it. That think that, I think To me, he should have enough incentives in his contract for doing things like that that he doesn't need a raise. I would agree. But apparently that's exceeding expectations to Indiana. That's like showing up for your job every day, putting in your 40 hours, not staying any, not doing anything extra and getting a raise, but just being reliable. Yeah. Just being a reliable person, being a, 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 a decent, but not spectacular employee. That's what Mike Woodson has been. He's been a decent, not spectacular coach and he gets a raise. Meanwhile, we're talking about Marcus Freeman, a decent, not spectacular coach so far. And it's being discussed that maybe he could be potentially on the hot seat. Different expectations, but also could we say different points where these programs are? Well, someone texting and they make a great point at 46862. Woodson is a homegrown guy and gets a pass. I mean, he went to IU. From, uh, Freeman is an outsider. And that's true. Well, that's the only reason why Mike Woodson got the job in the first place. Yes. If he has no ties to Indiana, he's not 
the Indiana head coach. Never so it's a great for point. The job. Yes, he's going to get a longer leash naturally because he's from the IU pipeline. Great mean, point. Meanwhile, on the other side, speaking of Big Ten, uh, the Big Ten will give you more of something you don't want. We'll explain that next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kenny, thanks for being with us on a Thursday. Time for another Comets keyword. We just selected our winner waiting their text back uh, for Coliseum. So let's do, you know, let's have some, let's do corn. Just text corn to 46862. I will pick a winner sometime next hour of another pair of tickets for Saturday night's exhibition game at the Coliseum between Iowa and in Fort Wayne. Puck drop at 7.30 in that one. Meanwhile, the Big Ten, once again, giving you more of something you do not want. They'll have at least nine Friday games in 2024. Of course, these will be games on Fox. Uh, Now, some of these could be with the West Coast team, so maybe they're later games. But they're wanting more of the, the Friday night games in particular because of USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington joining the conference. They had five Friday games in 2023, plus there's a doubleheader on Black Friday, which, again, I view that kind of differently. You're not necessarily competing with high school football. You're competing with the state finals in Indiana, but that's a little different. Um, I just, I, I don't get their line of thinking. They've had games on Friday night since 2017. You've had coaches like Tom Allen rail about how they don't like it. Ohio State, Penn State, and Iowa don't want to play at home on Friday nights. Michigan refuses to play on Friday nights, period. It's terrible for recruiting because coaches can't go out and see players on those. And I get it. You could say, well, it's one game uh, for, for the teams. It's not like they're getting multiple Friday home games. But look, like that's that's the time, and you're, you're infringing on Friday night. Even the NFL is not infringing on Friday night. <laughs> they right? play seemingly every other night of the week. Now... We haven't gotten the schedule for these Friday night games yet. I would suspect some of them will be West Coast games starting at, what, 10.30 or 10? But you look at Ohio State and Penn State, for example, and Iowa. They refuse to play a home game on Friday nights. Okay? I understand it. Yeah. I get it. Michigan refuses to play on Friday nights, period. Understandable. Which I totally get. So when you're looking at how you... Ex- so so on Friday, I don't know what the schedule is going to be, but you're not going to get Michigan whatsoever. You're not going to get a game in the shoe. You're not going to get a game in Happy Valley. You're not going to get a game at Iowa. You're not going to get to experience, you know, at Iowa where they turn and wave to the kids uh-huh. at the children's hospital. These are four which of always the, gets to me. the bigger, like bigger home environments in the Big Ten. Right. So what, what games are you going to watch on Friday? You're going to get games at Purdue. At maybe Indiana, at Maryland, at Rutgers, at Minnesota, at Michigan State, at Northwestern. What Again, what's exciting you here about Friday night football? Because, I don't know, maybe USC and Oregon and Washington say, no, we're not playing on Fridays either. I don't know. Maybe part of them joining the conference, they have to play um, on Friday nights. Who knows? Uh, part of the reason, and someone texting this in, this is true, Fox will not have Friday Night SmackDown come 2024, so they need something to air. Yeah, I get that, but do you have to air football? I mean, there well, are a million so. reality shows that you can air. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, just put repeats of um, 
What is it? The day Friday night the, is not a good hidden... TV watching night. It's not a good night for ratings. That's kind of my thing. I mean, that's why you have, th- have Thursday night football with college first and now the NFL too. I just, I, I, it's once again trying to saturate the market with Big Ten football, but it's putting the wrong step forward because you're not getting premier teams playing on Friday night. It's just going to be another Wisconsin at Minnesota game on Friday. And who's tuning into that? After a long week of working, putting in the grind, you're home on Friday. Maybe it's a rare Friday night where you don't have to do anything. The kids aren't doing anything. You're just going to sit back and relax. How many people are sitting down going, oh, I've really been looking forward to this Minnesota and Northwestern game on Friday night. Hey, but remember, we have the West Coast team, so it could be Oregon hosting Northwestern. Well, that's, <laughs> but that's the thing is, I don't know if Oregon and, and USC and Washington are going to be wanting to play those games. Maybe part of them joining the Big Ten, if the Big Ten was smart, they had to agree to play a Friday night game once a year. All, all we can say is that pretty much Fox, by owning the Big Ten network, and having the TV pretty much owns the Big Ten when it comes to scheduling. And at some point, if you're the Big Ten, you need to to look at what's happening here and push back. But they can't. My, they don't have the they don't have the control over it. My thing is, it's just another. This is what the Big Ten is looking at. They are trying to profile their conference in a good light. But the more that people around the country are exposed to Big Ten football, the worse I think the mindset of the Big Ten is going to be. Because you have to think, the East Coast, and they're not a great example because of Rutgers and in, in, in Maryland, let's say the South, let's say the West Coast, they're not exposed to the Big Ten like we are. But they're about to be. And they're going to learn the same thing that, that we know. The Big Ten is not a good football conference. There are three good teams. That like doubles two next year. Two or three... Year. Middle of the pack teams and everybody else, which to be fair, that's most conferences. You add three top level teams, except the Pac-12 this year, right? (laughs) Yeah, you add three top level teams this year, but Washington's kind of an asterisk because they're not a traditional power. Well, and I don't think they're going to have the staying like they're going to lose a lot. I I don't know if they're going to be the same program. Like they're not going to be a top ten program. They lose Penix, the Heisman Trophy winner, and they lose uh, if Galen DeBoer stays. Somebody may throw big money at him. But um, let's say you're looking at two high-profile teams, programs in Oregon and USC, and two above average in UCLA and Washington. Traditionally. Yeah. So you, you've you've added some, but like it, UCLA is, they've been okay. In fact, they've been better this season than I think expected. But like, you're not adding bad programs, right? You're not adding... You're not adding IU. A Cal... Who's been nothing in football for years. Right. But it just. The Big Ten wants to show you Friday night games. I just don't think the Friday night games are going to draw in the eyeballs at the Big Ten once. Is there a single person listening right now that's looking forward to more Big Ten games on Friday nights? If there is, please text us. Yes. Let us know. Let us know. At four six eight six two. Meanwhile, on the other side is well, we're already behind. We kick off hour number two. Colts and Bears fans have reason to feel good compared to Vikings and Dallas Cowboys fans. Yes, I will explain that on the other side. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, thirteen eighty the fan and one hundred point nine FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning. Thanks for being with us here on thirteen eighty the fan, one hundred point nine FM. 
Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, and you. Text line always available to you at 46862. Again, 46862. Just type in CK first in your questions, your comments, your rants. Or if you want to win a pair of Comets tickets, the keyword right now is corn. Yes, corn at 46862 because the K's are playing the Iowa Heartlanders this weekend at the Coliseum. We have one more pair of tickets for Saturday night to give away. Our hour number one winner, Marcus, will be going to the Coliseum Saturday night. We also have another pair of Sunday tickets that we'll give away later on in the show as well. This hour, MLB playoffs reset. Who are the favorites? Plus, we talked about randomness a bit yesterday, but maybe that's overblown. Now, there is one random stat that is a predictor of future success in the MLB postseason. Also, Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star will join us, IndyStar.com. Uh, Colts beat writer. What do the Colts look like now with Gardner Minshew clearly getting some full run here for several weeks with Richardson out at least four weeks on injured reserve? We expect a bit more. What does this team look like? What are the win totals? Is there still an outside shot? at a playoff spot. We'll talk with him about that along with the Jonathan Taylor pitch count. And before we leave you, Fat Bear Week, we have a winner. And it's an upset. We'll give you the details on that at around 8.50 or so. So again, today, uh, the comment keyword is corn at 46862. A couple of texts already coming uh, in. So we'll pick a winner about halfway through this hour and then have one more giveaway at the end of the hour. So... The Colts obviously just drafted a quarterback. That quarterback's been injured, but there's still obviously plenty of time to figure out who Anthony Richardson is in the NFL. We're not going to know this year. We knew that going in. We won't probably know next year. It's not till year three that you really make that decision. That's where the Bears are at. Year three of Justin Fields. He's had a couple of good games in a row. Granted, not against very good teams. You know, Can he continue that consistency and break through the rest of the season? Or... Will he slump? Either way, the Bears and that organization will have an answer by the end of the year, right? Yes. I mean, it feels pretty safe to say. They, It's amazing what two weeks can do for everybody's opinion on Justin Fields. Two games is not enough. Either way, you could say four games isn't enough either way for Anthony Richardson. But definitely not enough for, for Bears fans to all of a sudden think Justin Fields is good. But we'll know by the end of the year. I mean, it was a Bears team that was really bad last year, but you saw some promise with Justin Fields. This year, they've been really bad. And outside of the last two weeks, you've not seen that promise. That is for sure. But here's the thing. The Colts and Bears, like, they have timelines you can go by. And that's a good spot to be in. Because the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, the best news is, well, you can draft another one. Yeah, either you don't have a quarterback or you're in position to soon draft one. The Indianapolis Colts were able to do that last year. The Bears are in that position right now is if Justin Fields doesn't work out, which it's year three and you're going to have to see more consistency from him, not just two games, but consistency, then you're going to be able to take a Caleb Williams or Drake May towards the top of the draft. So the Colts have a plan. The Bears seemingly have a plan, but who do not have a plan? The Vikings and the Cowboys are in quarterback purgatory. Yeah, they're in no man's land. Quarterbacks who aren't top 10 caliber. Dak Prescott maybe at best is is number 10, 
but he's never won anything in his career, right? And that's part of the problem. So if you're a Colts or a Bears fan, you at least have timelines. Meanwhile, if you're with the Cowboys and all they've invested in Dak, and he is who he is. He is an above-average quarterback, but he's never going to win you anything, and he's nowhere close to being elite. Same with Kirk Cousins. Above-average quarterback, he can play well, but like, do you really want to be stuck in that infinite loop, which both those teams are stuck in as long as those guys are their quarterbacks? Even Brock Purdy, which, to be fair, we were not sold on him as a top guy. And he's proving to be on the fringes of the top 10 so far this season. I get it. Everyone could say, well, he's got amazing people around him, which is true. He does. Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey. He has great players around him. You can't deny that. But he also has to get the ball to them, and he's had no trouble doing that. And we saw that on Sunday night uh, when the Niners routed the Cowboys. It's a fascinating discussion to have about the Cowboys and the Vikings because I think there's a fair amount of Cowboys fans that still do believe in Dak Prescott. But if you take yourself out of your personal feelings, you can see a Dak Prescott's not good enough. Okay. Look, the the Cowboys this like is not good. If if he was good enough, like the, to me, if he can't get you to an NFC Championship game at minimum, at some point, like he's not good enough. He and, hasn't and, been able to do. Yeah, and we we know the same thing about Kirk Cousins, right? So just getting to the playoffs every year, yeah, that that's one thing. And the Colts thankfully aren't stuck in that rotation where they're just trying to make the playoffs every year. I mean, it seems like where the, the Cowboys and, and Vikings are. The Vikings are really going to be hurting without Justin Jefferson for a bit. And the problem is with both of those teams, they win too much to even be close to taking a top quarterback. What they need to do is hit hit with the Brock Purdy's. And 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 trust me, that it, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, right? it's next to impossible, right? And I'm not saying seventh round picks. I'm saying... You have to find somebody deeper than in the top five of the draft because you're not going to be picking in the top five because you win too many games to do that. But when you look at Dak Prescott and his inability, he he, he could go out in week 13 randomly and, and throw for 400 yards against the Eagles and everybody feels great. But when it comes down to it, Dak Prescott's not good enough. Not good enough to win you enough games to get to a Super Bowl. Or right, even, right now, not even get to the NFC championship game. Same thing with Kirk Cousins. Dak Prescott's record in the playoffs, two and four. Kirk Cousins record in the playoffs, one and four. They're not winning quarterbacks, but they're good enough to build a franchise around. We've seen Dallas do it. We've seen Minnesota do it, but they're just not good enough. And that is to your point, purgatory. It's, it's hell in the NFL where you have a good enough quarterback to be a steady starter in the league, but not a good enough quarterback to lead you to anything of consequence. Someone texting in at 46862. Steelers are in quarterback purgatory as well. I disagree because you're in year two of Kenny Pickett. You can easily go out and draft another quarterback because you're you're not winning enough. to you know If you're going winning 10-plus games and Kenny Pickett's your quarterback, then you're really in trouble. That's where the Vikings have been. And the Cowboys have been. Yeah, years. it's it's tough. To, it's too early, I think, to to look at K, at Kenny Pickett. I mean, he had an over five hundred record last year in his first year, but his overall stats aren't good. Twelve touchdowns, thirteen interceptions. But 
you have to give a player into that third year to really know. Is Kenny Pickett all of a sudden going to come become a really good quarterback? I don't think so. But it's also too early to say he won't. But this is a guy that's basically boosted his stock based on one season in college football when he threw for 42 touchdowns for Pitt in 2021. Helped having Jordan Addison. Let's it, let's it, not kid it ourselves. Did significantly, but other than that, his best cube touchdown to interception ratio his entire career in college was twelve to six in two thousand eighteen. It's just one year, so so we'll see if Kenny Pickett can develop into what the Steelers hope he will be. But the Kenny Pickett, he's not. I, I don't think he's going to be a Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, because long term, what he's doing isn't going to be enough to keep his job. But long-term Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott do enough to have no quarterback controversies around them, to just be steady starters in the NFL. They're going to win a fair amount of regular season games, but when it matters, when it counts, when you're talking about making the throws that win you playoff games, that get you to championship games, that get you to Super Bowls, neither of those guys can do it. And that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. And and it's not even that, oh, they haven't won a Super Bowl, but they've come close. They're not coming close. No. And, that, and that's the real issue here. And that Dallas team that came into the season and you felt with that defense, it's pretty solid. It's pretty good. Out Last week, notwithstanding, you think you have some good receivers there with CeeDee Lamb and you have Tony Pollard and you feel really good about that offense, but your quarterback is just simply not good enough. But he's good enough to keep his job year after year after year. So, if you're a Colts fan or a Bears fan, uh, yes, your teams may be average to below average on the field, but you at least aren't locked in on a quarterback who you know what they are and nothing can be done because of the, the contracts and, and they win just enough to keep their job, like you said, but not enough to win you anything of substance. You know what the crazy thing is, though, for Bears fans? They would kill, kill to have Dak Prescott as a quarterback. Why? Because he's actually a steady dude that can play year after year. For Comparatively to what the Bears have had, Dak Prescott would be a tremendous upgrade. The Bears seemingly have never had a successful franchise quarterback. Because they can't develop one. Yeah. What they need is somebody else, another team to develop them, and then trade them to the Bears. They Which should make an arrangement. They, they tried to do with Jay Cutler. Yes, who was, it was serviceable. He was yeah. decent, made yeah. to play. I would put him in the tier below Kirk Cousins and Dak Prescott in terms of talent. But yeah, a guy that's not going to lead you to anything. Much like Cousins and Prescott. 46862, your text line number 46862. You can also text Corn to that number, be in the running for a pair of tickets. See the Comets in Iowa Heartlanders at the Coliseum on Saturday night. Meanwhile, on the other side, MLB playoff resets. Who are the favorites? Randomness in the postseason in one stat about teams and matchups that will just blow your mind. We'll get to all that on the other side. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning are on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. We have our second winner of Comets tickets. Congrats to Vicente, uh, who is going to the K's game on Saturday night. Our next pair is a pair for Sunday. Sunday afternoon, what, 4 o'clock puck drop in that one. Um... And we're, start, we're running out of creative keywords here. 
What's another one we could do? What are we doing? Is it sa- Saturday night's game? S- s- no, we're done with Saturday. So we'll do Sunday. 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 Sunday fun day. Sunday fun day. Yeah. There you go. Just text go. Sunday fun day to 46862. You'll be in the running for a pair of tickets. See the Comets and the Heartlanders at the Coliseum. Four o'clock Sunday afternoon. Uh, again, just text Sunday fun day to 46862. And you'll be in the running there. And we still have more tickets giveaway tomorrow all for Sunday as well. All right. Resetting the MLB playoffs. The Astros, probably the favorite coming out of the AL. They play the Rangers. It's an all-Texas ALCS. Meanwhile, the Phillies have a 2-1 series lead over the Braves, who I think were the clear favorite going into the postseason. We talked about randomness yesterday. Is it good in the postseason? Are we looking for favorites in, in big matchups? On one hand, the Braves, when they won the World Series in 2021, they had the least wins in 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 the regular season among playoff teams, but won the World Series. So that was with the old format. Uh, meanwhile, in 2019, uh, you had 106-win Dodgers, didn't even make it to the NLCS. But then you had the 2018 Red Sox, best record in baseball, won the World Series. In 2017, Two of the three 100-win teams squared off in the World Series. And in 2016, the Cubs, best record in baseball, won the World Series. So, I mean, as formats change, you get different results. Since 95, the team with the best records won the World Series just seven times. That is the aspect I think you're, if if you're baseball, are you concerned about it or not? Well, I think the big thing is this isn't a recent occurrence that these top teams are losing because that this stat. Is seemingly every year. Yes. 1995, that's what? 30 nearly 30 years 30 28 years only seven times only 25 percent of the time since 1995 that the team with the best overall record in the regular season win has won the world series so it's not just a last two years thing i look at it as the series need to be longer i think that would be fair and you go five seven 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 but i understand that also that the major league baseball season is already long as is, and that just makes it longer. But if the playoffs are the most important thing, I think you have to build the playoffs to give the teams with the best records, the best chance. I think that's the thing when you look at this and you say, okay, you're marginalizing what a team does over 162 games. If it comes down to a three game series or a five game series, but like, here's the thing, the wild card round, it's three home games. True. I mean, what, what more What more can you give a team? I mean, I, the Rays well, just stunk. I, I don't know what else to true. say. Well, and it's not like they have home field advantage either. Oh, that's their, that's their own organization's fault. No, that's, I'm not using it as an excuse, but it just it, it hurts them. That's for sure. But that's their own fault. But um, I would like to see... I don't want to see any playoff series come down to three games. I think it should be five. I understand people will say, well, in football, it's just one game. But they only play 17 games. NHL and NBA, it's 82 games, and every series is seven games. I'm not saying every game, every series needs to be seven in Major League Baseball, but the minimum should be five. But to back up your point in terms of what you look at it is only 25% of the time since 1995 does the best team in the regular season win the World Series in terms of overall record. And I think you're looking at it once again this year when you look at uh, Baltimore with the best record in baseball out or best record in the Nas- in the American League 40, 40 games over 
Atlanta's now down 2-1. They're on the brink of elimination heading into tonight's game. LA's already out. So I think you look at the importance, the added importance of pitching because you have to have top of rotation dudes that can come in in a short series and do their jobs. You look at Milwaukee not being able to do their job on the mound, and that's why Arizona won the wildcard series. You look at LA, and you saw how short their starters went in the playoffs. And was it Clayton Kershaw just getting absolutely yeah. shelled? Yeah. That's the important. That's why once you get into the 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 uh, the offseason and, and teams are overpaying for starting pitching, is this is the time of the year where it matters. When you have a three-game series deciding whether you're done or you move on to the divisional series, you best have some absolute bangers at the top of your rotation. Meanwhile, if you want success, just play the Brewers in the postseason. Every single team that has ever beaten the Milwaukee Brewers in the playoffs has gone on to at least win a pennant. Isn't that wild? Yes. And this is just this is just like for forever. Yeah. So you have the Yankees in eighty one, the Cards in eighty two. They've made the the playoffs nine times. The Phillies in 2008, St. Louis again in 2011, Dodgers in 2018, the Nationals in 2019, Dodgers again in 20, and then the Braves in 2021. So Arizona, you're up next. (laughs) You're going to the World Series. Uh, That's pretty astounding. And a lot of that is recent. Yes. Five of the last six years, the Brewers have made the playoffs. And... They have not, They've well, they got to the NLCS in 2018, but after that, they have not gotten past the divisional round. Actually, they haven't won a playoff series since 2018 when they got to the NLCS. And that's, that's frustrating, too, because you go 89 wins, 95 wins, 86 wins, 92 wins. Yeah, they're winning the division. Yeah, most, most but they're not times. getting it done. If I'm the Milwaukee Brewers, I'm looking at the top of that rotation and that bullpen as the key. I mean, you're the one that, that traded Hayter to San Diego, um, which was weird. But um, Milwaukee's not getting it done. But hey, congratulations to the Diamondbacks. You're going to the World Series. Already already should start making plans if you're a Diamondbacks fan. I agree. 46862, your text line number 46862. Don't forget, you can text Sunday Funday to go see the Comets at the Coliseum Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock puck, puck drop against the Heartlanders. Up next, Nate Atkins of the Indy Star. Colts beat writer will join us. What do the Colts look like with Gardner Minshew now for the next several weeks? And Jonathan Taylor's pitch count. What will that look like moving forward? That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kenny in the morning. You're on 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Your new text to win code words Sunday Funday at 46862. Again, Sunday Funday at 46862 to win a pair of tickets. See the Comets and Iowa Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock puck drop at the Coliseum exhibition game at number two. If you want to win a pair, just text Sunday Funday to 46862. Six two Sunday Funday for Nate Atkins, of course, involves following the Colts. The Colts beat writer for the Indianapolis Star joining us on the guest line, and not really a surprise that Anthony Richardson placed on injured reserve. But what's interesting is the timeline of the Colts' schedule. Is is it realistic to think if he is not a a super fast healer, 
that he could be out until after the bye week and, and, and maybe possibly return November 26th against Tampa Bay? Yeah, at this point, I'm expecting him to be out through the bye week. I think he would be surprising people if he came back earlier because I know what you're referring to is that the uh, you know he's out for at least four games because he's on injured reserve. And then that fifth game is the trip to Germany against the Patriots. And it's just kind of a difficult time to bring a guy back when you consider you know, they're going to be flying out Thursday, not practicing Thursday, and then practicing Friday, you know, after a time change and, you know, and then heading into a bye two days later. Uh, so rather than kind of have him come back and face a Bill Belichick defense in an international game, you know, it would make sense to just be extra cautious, even if he seems like he's getting close. Now it's possible that he's just, you know, he's, he does heal super fast. And if, if he's fully, fully, fully healthy, then maybe, maybe they do that. But that to me would be a little bit of a surprise. I think with all of this stuff, they're going to, uh, err on the side of caution because this year really ultimately was about developing Anthony Richardson for the future, which means obviously keeping him healthy, but it also means developing the right habits in him. So some guys will come back a little earlier from an injury like this, the way that uh, you know Ben Roethlisberger has, Aaron Rodgers has. Those were you know established veteran quarterbacks coming back for teams that were really trying to contend right then. I think the... Uh, just the whole scale is a little different with a 21-year-old rookie, and uh, so I, I think they will preach caution uh, more than anything else. Nate, this season all about evaluation of Anthony Richardson for the Colts. What is the sense you get from the front office and the coaching staff about their impressions of Anthony Richardson, both positive and negative, through his four games that he's seen action in? I think they're quite encouraged by the player that's out there on the field and the person that they drafted within their building, you know, they, they had kind of a, a long scouting process to figure out uh, what to do with this player who had only started 13 games above the high school level. And eventually they, they came to the conclusion that they thought he had all of the traits that they were looking for, specifically some special traits in uh uh, some special traits in the pocket and his ability to evade pressure. And they've seen that so far play out uh, the way that he's been able to elude sacks and then just show that high upside rushing. Uh, but what they really came down to is they just felt like he, the things he didn't have yet on his college tape uh, were, were mostly due to the fact that he hadn't played and hadn't built sort of any kind of consistent chemistry with receivers and consistency in the dropback passing game. So they wanted to get him reps. And they hoped and they believed that he would be ready mentally to do that early on in the season. And that's exactly what they ended up seeing, is that he, uh, by just one preseason game, had shown enough of a mastery of a playbook that they were ready to throw him in there. And there really hasn't been many hitches from that aspect of it. Uh, and the passing, you know, has been, has been pretty solid for the most part. He's at just below 60% completions, but, you know, he was able to, to, to develop some of the explosive down-the-field plays against the Rams, and he was able to show some rhythm passing earlier in the season, uh, you know, before he had the uh, the injury against the Texans. And so most of the stuff they've seen is what they've wanted out of him. You know, they knew they had to still develop some things with the accuracy and the ball placement. Uh, there, there were going to be ups and downs, and we've seen some of that this season, too, 
a little bit with ball security as well. Uh, but I, I think they're encouraged by him, and uh, and then I think he's, in fact, I think he's further along than they really thought that he would be at this point of his rookie year. Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star joining us on the guest line. Colts beat writer for IndyStar, IndyStar.com as well. You you touch on completion percentage. So in college, uh, nearly 55%. You look at where he's at now. He's at nearly 60%, and I get it. It's 84 pass attempts in the NFL, but you're, you're turning up nearly five percentage points and you, you discuss the, the fact that you're, you didn't have the rhythm with receivers in college. Um, you have a set roster in the NFL. I mean, the biggest concern about him outside of course, now staying healthy moving forward was that completion percentage, but he's, he's already done a better job and I get everyone can point to the, the Rams game where he went, what, 11 to 25, but in the second half, he made the plays, to, to make that game you know a game and what was just an absolute blowout so w- when you look at the evaluation per, per period of, of you know I think the one key stat people are concerned about uh, do you feel like he has checked that box as far as being more accurate as a passer so far I think he's shown that he's better than a 55 percent accuracy thrower there is some room to grow uh, I think the Rams game showed that he was like 11 of 26 but it's worth looking into how that game played out. They really were going down the field because they were down 23 nothing, and so they were, they were going for chunk plays that are lower percentage in nature, and they were hitting some of them. But, you know, there was, there was inconsistency in how many. I think you know, there were times where his ball placement, you know, he, he sometimes will stare down a receiver a little bit early. Sometimes the ball will fall a little bit high. These are just things he's got to work through. Uh, like all rookies have areas that they have to get better at, but I think he's definitely shown a better, better touch on a lot of passes in the in the short range than uh, people were maybe expecting based on just those those numbers from Florida. And he's also been hurt by some drops, and some of that, you know, he's he's he didn't build the consistency with uh, receivers at Florida, and he's still trying to build that in the NFL because his career so far here has been very. Herky jerky, where he, you know, he started the first five quarters of the season, uh, then he missed the next seven quarters. You know, after he had the brain injury against the Texans, you know, then he came, comes back in and he plays, you know, another five quarters, and then he gets hurt with, uh, with now an injury that's going to keep him out. So, you know, in that process, missed a week of practice reps against uh, the Ravens. So, it's still so early in the process of him building connections with guys like. Michael Pittman Jr. and Alec Pierce and Josh Downs and Kylan Granson. And you see some of those have come together, Downs and Pittman more so, uh, but he's really hasn't you know, run enough reps to Alec Pierce to develop that. So when they have to go to it, it's not as ready as it could be. And that's really where he's learning a lot of – that's where they believe a lot of the accuracy concerns lie. We're just understanding ball placement for specific receivers and where they need it relative to who they are and how they play. And it's just stuff that has to play out a little bit. So I think they saw the strides when he was able to do that with uh, Josh Downs and Michael Pittman. And unfortunately, this injury just comes at a time where you know, it interrupted some of the development they were trying to get with those other players. Nate, in terms of, of the running back room, we've seen Zach Moss be tremendous early on in the season. And say Shane Steichen yesterday talking about, quote-unquote, ramp him, ramp him up, talking about Jonathan Taylor in practice this week and the workload heading into the game against Jacksonville. What can we expect with this best-case scenario for the Colts, a two-headed monster 
at running back if both can perform and the offensive line can continue to deliver? Yeah, they made this deal right before uh, last Sunday's game, obviously, and the hope was at that time was that they'd be creating a three-headed monster with Anthony Richardson in the backfield. Now that becomes a two-headed monster, but they're going to need it just as much as they were going to need it before because Garner Minshew steps in, and you know they believe he's you know he's very capable backup, but they need to insulate any backup with a good system. And so the plan here is to really run the ball a lot and divide that up between Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor, kind of complement each other in pretty interesting ways. Jonathan Taylor, you know, when he's healthy, which has been a couple of years now that we, before we've you know since we've seen the full full version of it. But at his peak, you know, he's the most explosive runner in football other than maybe Nick Chubb. Uh, just would rip off consistent runs of 20-plus uh, in that 2021 season when he won the rushing title. And so he's a guy that has 4.39 speed, and he can just sort of cut on a dime, hit to the sidelines, and turn a run that you block for 10 yards into you know something that goes for 35-plus. Zach Moss is much more of your downhill runner who can finish through contact and you know, show some good vision along the way. You know, he did have that 56-yard run against uh, the Titans on Sunday, which you know, he really, I thought, was as fresh and confident running as he has so far. But, most, but I get a lot of credit to the offensive line on that one because mostly Zach Moss's game is going to be kind of churning out first downs the way we saw him do that against the Ravens and win those plays in short yardage. And so... They want to balance this because John and Taylor, obviously, they're trying to keep fresh and avoid some of the things that happened last season when he had the high ankle sprain and uh, just just overuse that that could come. You know, he ran he ran 330 sometimes two years ago, and that always seems to affect the back the next season. So when they make a deal like they did with Taylor, where it's a three year extension, the team now has an obligation to. Uh, try to keep that player fresh and healthy. It's a very different mindset than when he's in a contract here or on the franchise tag. So Zach Moss becomes key to that where uh, if you can limit Taylor's carries a little bit, drop it from maybe you know, what he was in 2021 at like you know, close to 30 a game to you know, somewhere more around 20 a game, you can get the most fresh version out of him and keep him in the situations where he's best, which is uh, just running the ball and being explosive. And then you can use Zach Moss more for uh, those other plays, which are you know, short yardage conversions, the occasional drive to spell him, and then you know some third down work. So I think they have a really nice tandem between the two of those. I think they're going to run them a lot here just to try to you know overcome some of what's happening at the quarterback position. Nate Atkins, Indianapolis Star, with us. Before we let you go, Colts Jags coming up on Sunday on the road for Indianapolis. They've lost seven straight in Jacksonville, eight straight as the visiting team, a game played in London back in 2016. We saw the Colts end a streak against the Titans and that home losing streak on Sunday. Can they end another streak coming up this Sunday afternoon? Uh, they can. You know, they're, they're playing better than anyone really thought. They've been in every game. They were in the game against the Jaguars in week one until – uh, really just sort of some things, you know, they, things got away from them as they were trying to uh, just trying to answer the, their passing game against the Jaguars passing game in this early developmental stage. And I think that's going to be the thing that they're up against is, uh, you know, subbing in a backup quarterback in Gardner Minshew, going up against the Jaguars who I think are starting to figure some things out on offense. 
especially now that they've got Travis Etienne rolling. So it's going to be a challenge. It's, it, they just they never play, like you said, they never play their best football down there. Maybe this will be different. Maybe maybe a new coaching staff and maybe a new year turns it over and it's a different thing. Uh, you know, if they if if they're going to win that game, I think what has to happen is they uh, they just start really running the ball well. That first game they had. 16 carries for 25 yards uh, for the running backs, but they were down at Deion Jackson that game. So you replace that with Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor, who is ramping up. He's going to play more than he did last week, but uh, you know he's he's not fully there yet. But you, you mix those two with an offensive line that's really playing incredibly well. You know, maybe get Bernard Ryman back this week. I think that's got to be the way is if they can really improve that run game keep from having to just do everything through the air. Uh, they can they can kind of win a maybe a little little more mid-range scoring game, but I, I do think they're up against it this week. Nate Atkins, Indianapolis Star, IndyStar.com, Colts beat writer, previewing Colts-Jags and talking about the injury front for Indianapolis. Nate, as always, appreciate the time. Yep, thanks for having me. That's Nate Atkins with us. Don't forget, you can text Sunday Funday to 46862, last chance to enter and we'll give away a pair of tickets to see the Comets and the Iowa Heartlanders Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock puck drop at the Coliseum and exhibition game number two. Again, just text Sunday Funday to 46862. On the other side, we have a winner in Fat Bear Week. Details next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Final time here on a Thursday, Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Also, final chance for you to text Sunday Funday to 46862. Again, Sunday Funday to 46862. We're giving away another pair of tickets to see the Comets and the Heartlanders coming up on Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock puck drop exhibition game number two. So your chance to win. We'll pick a winner right after the show. All right, we have a winner. Fat Bear Week 2023. Uh, Katmai National Park in Alaska puts this on every year. And uh, a large female beer uh, bear. This year's winner, one twenty-eight grazer. And so they beat eleven other bears in the contest. So what? What this is is basically they weigh the bears pre-prepping for hibernation. Is that what it works like? Like yeah, well, for a it's week? just they they have a week of voting where they just people vote okay, on the bears vote on the bears, and they have pictures of them yes. all as, as they prep. As they get ready for hibernation. Correct. So 128 Grazer, the winner. Uh, she was praised for her skill and toughness. First time champion. Uh, yeah. Won the final round of voting against 32 Chunk, who was described as a mountain <laughs> of a male with a prominent posterior. Prominent posterior. <laughs> Female BR 128 Grazer wins after stuffing salmon in her face. Was the big thing. She had a with a dominant performance, it was said. Her resilience and strength is the epitome of Katmai's brown bears. And uh, in in one of their social media posts, in the bear world, fat equals success. And all the (laughs) bears have been working endlessly to pack on the pounds needed to survive winter hibernation. Uh, It said uh, along the way, 128 grays are faced off against 747, a two-time Fat Bear Week winner. One of of the all-time greats. It says, uh, described by Katmai National Park as Quote, typically very fat by the end of the week. Uh, pretty pretty amazing. They actually have sl- pictures of slim 128 Grazer, like night and day. 
Oh, I'm sure. Pretty wild. So that, that's called putting in the work. Yeah, it's uh, it's time to chunk up for in the, the bears. In the bears version of the weight room. Yes, that's putting in the work. Congrats. That is that is packing on the salmon. And she did that. So congratulations. She's a particularly defensive mother, has been known to attack larger male bears to defend her cubs, and some larger bears will actively avoid her. She As is, they should. Uh, yeah, she is that mom that you don't want to be around. That wraps it up for us today on a Thursday. Thanks to Nate Atkins for joining us. For Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Dan Patrick coming up. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Suite with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4 and the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6 with more chances to win Comets tickets. All today here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.